Welcome to Dog Training Disrupted by Upward Dogology, where I retrain your brain and introduce you to the world of cognitive behavioral therapy for dogs over the age of six months. I am over the moon honored to have the privilege to bring to you our guest today, Lynn Cox. Lynn is a New York Times bestselling author, and we all know how much I love authors. She's also an athlete, and I love athletes. Lynn broke the men's and women's world records twice for swimming across the English Channel. Her historic swim across the Bering Strait promoted peace between the USA and USSR. Lynn is a motivational speaker, and she loves dogs. So how does this fit in with this podcast? Well, Lynn has written a new book titled Tales of Al, the Water Rescue Dog. This is a wonderful, heartwarming story. It's about dogs and love, courage, overcoming failure, and achieving triumph. The story focuses on Al, a two-year-old Newfoundland dog, who's training with other dogs to become an elite water rescue dog at the renowned School of Italian Water Rescue Dogs. And Lynn visited this place. This is a true story. She saw what it takes to to accomplish this, and she saw Al's journey and process. And well, Al didn't exactly start out a star, but I'm going to let the chat with Lynn carry this forward. But before I move on to that, I just want to let you know that after the chat with Lynn, I'll be giving a brief talk on cognitive skills in relation to jobs for dogs and tasks and sports for dogs. And before I get started, (laughs) one more thing, I just want to give a quick reminder about season one in this podcast, because I know probably a lot of people listening to this particular episode are not familiar with this podcast or with canine cognitive behavioral therapy. So if you are interested, you can check out the first season of this podcast, which also has an episode on me and my learning journey. If you prefer, you can also listen to some of the other podcasts that I'm a featured guest on. I was recently interviewed by the renowned Mark Beckoff for his column in Psychology Today magazine, and I'm thrilled for that. It's such an honor. I'm also a speaker at the upcoming Animal Behavior Society Conference. I'm the only speaker not affiliated with a university, and there's only two of us that do not hold doctorate degrees. So I'm quite honored, and you can find the links for all of that in the show notes and on my website. So without further ado, I bring to you a woman I feel is deserved of the Nobel Peace Prize, Lynn Cox. Hello, I'm Billy Groom, your host and successful canine cognitive behavioral therapist for over three decades. And I'm so excited to have you, Lynn, with us today. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm doing great, Billy. Thank you. Yay. So where are you right now? Where are you hanging your hat these days? Right now, I'm working in Kansas City, Missouri, and looking forward to getting back to Southern California so I can get back in the bay and continue swimming. Oh, so you are, you're just still swimming, still swimming, still love it. Is it your, it's your passion and your, who you are? It really is. When I wake up in the morning, I walk across the beach and get into the, into the bay and swim an hour, an hour and a half a day. And sometimes in the summer when it's a lot warmer, I swim for a couple hours. Uh, It's my way of starting the day. 
and thinking about what I want to do and what I want to achieve and being mentally and physically fit, I think. That's inspirational. And it's so important. I think a morning routine is so incredibly important. And I guess that's been your your entire life. You've, you've just done some really amazing things. We talked about it briefly in the intro there. So the listeners heard a little bit. Um, but of all of all the ones that you've the the swims that you've done, what one are you? I guess the most proud of, or mm-hmm. hits the home, hits your heart the most. You know, each swim at the time I did it was the most significant thing. And if I hadn't swum the English Channel when I was fifteen and sixteen. I don't think I could have gone on to swim across Cook Straits and then go on to do the Strait of Magellan or the Cape of Good Hope or eventually the Bering Strait. One thing built upon the other, and each one had its own unique challenges and um, things you had to figure out and push through to succeed. So I think that each one has been very special to me. It's sort of like, do you have a favorite dog that you've had in your life? No, I've loved them all. And that's the sort of the same way I feel about the different swims I've been able to do. I completely relate to that. Completely. Absolutely. I'm actually writing my memoir now. And so you can relate to that because you've written an enormous number of books and they're just fantastic with all different interesting tales. But as you start to think about this or for myself, the building blocks and how they all work together to the next step, to the next step. And you're right. I, I think if, if people just jump to their final end goal, and that's the same with working with a dog too, you can't just rush to the end goal. There has to be building blocks and steps and you don't even always know what those are. They're not necessarily, it, it's not always a perfect game plan, which is really clear in my learning journey. It was not, it was not a set out game plan at all, but everything did lead one to the other to the other and you think back hmm i really wonder you know what did i learn from different different experiences that then you can de- then take to the next one i think that you're really right and when i've seen different people through the years decide for instance they want to swim the english channel they decide today and they figure that maybe in 9 months they'll be ready for it but i really think that people need to give themselves more time and more steps in between, you know, to go from being a pool swimmer to suddenly going into the open ocean and then deciding you want to swim the English Channel. It's like it, it takes a while to acclimate. It takes a while to build up the endurance and to know how to sprint like you have in the, in the past, to be able to swim really fast when you have to, to cut through a current and then to get back into your pace. And I think that people that shortcut it then do not have a great result often. And because of that, they go back over and over and try just the English Channel, where in fact, if they had spent the time initially and put mm-hmm. the training in and given themselves their bodies and their minds the time to prepare for what they're going to do, I think they would have had greater success. And I, I bet that also happens with working with, with people and their dogs, you know, that the, the same consistency that you get from training. True. It, that is exactly it, where if something's not not working. And like you said, it, it is the physical. They could literally have that cardio and the, the style and the skill, but to, to have the brain be able to process it and use that skill effectively 
and appropriately to achieve the goal. And that is exactly what canine cognitive behavioral therapy is all about. It is resetting the brain and getting the brain to make the the decisions and to feel comfortable making the decisions and to have practice making those decisions. And that that practice only comes with repetition and increased challenges. So it's, it's very, very similar. But I want to get to your, since we're talking about dogs, oh, your new book, Tales of Owl. And that is, in my mind, really, I haven't, I haven't read your other books, but I have looked at them and, and the, there is one I want to, obviously I want to read Grayson. Absolutely. I'm so excited mm-hmm. to read that. But this one, uh, Tales of Owl, is a little bit different, you would say, than than some of the other books that you've written? Yes. Actually, all the books are very different from each other. Mm-hmm. I don't write. I was just thinking that as I was form. sort of stumbling through that. Yeah, they are yeah. all different. They're all really different. There's no formula. And each each story finds its own way of being told. I don't have a formula. I don't do the same story over and over again and change the characters. I write nonfiction. And, you know, initially when I went to Italy to learn about the Italian water rescue dogs and how they're trained, I had no intention at that point of writing a book. But as I was there and I watched Ferruccio Palenga and Donatella um, Pasquale training the dogs and working with their owners and, and saw Al learning how to become a water rescue dog, I thought, you know, this is really a story. And I think that people on so many levels can relate to it, whether they have a dog or a puppy or they have a child or an adolescent and they're trying to get their loved one to to learn how to do something. One of the things that I noticed that I've really loved was there was so much positive reinforcement and there was never a time where the dog in, in the case of Al or the other, the golden retrievers, the German shepherds, the, um, other water dogs, there was a couple other um, dogs, Labradors, that were always treated with kindness. And mm-hmm. if they didn't know how to do something, they were showed the skill one or two more times. And if they still didn't get it, then they would move on to something else. And on another day, come back to it. And I thought, you know, it's really funny because I've coached swimmers. I've worked with people through my life. And it's the same method. You know, I've never been one to scream at somebody for not doing well, or, you know, there were coaches that I could see them throwing kickboards at swimmers and hitting them. And I thought, this is never the way you coach somebody. This is never the way you train a person or a dog. It's really about giving them direction and allowing them to flourish. I love that. Guidance and direction is so important with dogs. And especially if the I found it interesting, too, that you did talk about at one point um, with the puppies. So sort of getting those puppies swimming in the water and just getting them using starting. Not to, I'm not going to do the spoiler on everything, but there are some really interesting. And what I found really interesting is is the way that they worked with the, the puppies. Um, if they were scared of the water or kind of got water up their nose and started, you know, the same way kids do just sort of take a step back and get them used to, 
you know, didn't take them out and say, you're never going in the water again, but just slowed it down a little bit. And then as they got older, what you were talking about for me when I was reading it also used a lot of their cognitive skills. So as though, and that's a lot with what I do, where the method for a puppy is going to be different than uh, older. And in the case of what you were doing over there, they're, they're doing tasks, right? They're teaching tasks. So it's interesting because it's, and like you said, they did it all based on positive reinforcement. So it's very different than what I do because I'm not a task trainer. So I really loved reading it for that because it was all about adapting to the different dogs and what their skill sets were and how they learned at their own pace. You can see it with, because you you talk about a lot of different dogs. Some were really well known for certain, I don't know how much I want to give away, but the helicopter story was really interesting, you know, and I think that was that mass who was really good in the helicopter. Right. Well, there were a number of different dogs and different yeah. breeds that were getting into the helicopter. But the dog that I first saw, I think was masked, but I wasn't able to confirm that, where where she just leaps right into the helicopter yeah. to be taken over to the area where they're going to do this mock rescue because yeah. they had somebody that was all training. And so they had somebody that had jumped in the water and they were raising their arms. And then Moss jumped from the helicopter into the water followed by her owner, who then went together with Mass to um, present her, the top of her harness, her, her handle on top, so that the victim, simulated victim, could reach over, grab the harness, and be pulled to shore. So it was just an incredible thing to watch and to see, you know, to see it happening, but also to think, you know, most dogs are afraid of loud noises. You know, how could they do get into a helicopter and most dogs are probably afraid of heights and also the the people that were instructing the the owners were trying to make sure that they were not afraid and i wondered also how much their transference of contentment or fear went from the human to the dog and back and forth so to be able to witness how they were training the dogs was wonderful but part of this also came back to when i was a child my parents taught me how to swim in the lake in Maine. And the method they used for training me was just the same They, the way they trained our Dalmatian. You yeah. know, the, the same thing of hold the dog, let the, let the puppy start moving its paws and feel secure. And through time, getting more strength. And then the ability grows and confidence goes. And then the dog swims between my parents. Um, and that same thing was something that I saw happening what what you mentioned earlier with the puppies that they were training that you would have one person standing very close to another and let the puppy swim from one person to the other and always a short distance so that the puppy always felt like he or she could do it they met with success and then they'd go on and do a little bit further apart and um i just it was fun because it made me think of there are good ways to train dogs and and you know i've seen where people have thrown dogs into the water. And there was one dog I just heard about last week who was a Labrador and a young man threw the dog in the pool and the dog is now terrified of going in the water. Like that seems really wrong. You know, it just, it doesn't have to be like that. Yeah. They, they just like people, they get comfortable at their own pace and their own time. 
And yet there's so many dog books on different breeds. Oh, they'll do this. And, and I, I often say to people, but the dog didn't read that book. They, they don't know that they're a lab and they're supposed to be good in the water. You know, <laughs> they're their own being and they're their own dog. And that brings me back a little bit to what you were saying about dogs being afraid of noises and like a helicopter or heights. It really depends on the dog. It's, it's amazing because I work a lot with street dogs or dogs with disadvantaged pasts. And if people would automatically may think that they would be a certain way or um, not like people or not like, or, you know, have sort of preconceived thoughts on how a dog might be. And yet it, it really depends on so many factors. So the one dog I have that I was just telling you about before we, we hopped on here live, um, that she's blind and, and deaf and she's from the streets of Costa Rica and she lived there a large part of her life on her own. Um, she wasn't as deaf then and she wasn't as blind, although her eyes were in worse condition. So she is not afraid of anything, nothing. She, nothing phases her. She's not afraid of anything. And before she was deaf, we would go to, you know, football games in Regina, Saskatchewan are known for how incredibly loud and crazy that the crowd is, the fans are insane. And she would come with me to those games and uh, she could come in because she was uh, could do that. So, you know, nothing faced her. And then you could get other dogs. Uh, I don't know if the, you can see the one behind me is uh, from the streets of Mexico. Yes. Yeah, he's he's from the streets of Mexico and he lived there till he was only six months. And he is far more uh, aware of everything. He, he uh, David actually brought him back. I brought his sister back and, and David brought him back on a, uh, David lived in BC at the time. And that dog was put, Poncho was put on a plane and then in a crate on a plane. And then from there, there were a couple of other dogs too. Then from there went to the ferry to go over to the island. And it was a storm. It was a huge storm. They had to wait and wait and wait forever until the, the the fairies got the okay to go. There were other dogs on the ferry. They were being sick and terrified. And he was just stoic. He was wow. absolutely stoic. And he'd never been in any of those situations before. So it really just depends on so many factors. And I have to say, when I was reading your book, I really was so intrigued how it would end up with Al because there's so many different ways that they they could have gone with her and I won't give it away but <laughs> it, they did perfectively per perfectly in my mind balance her personality with what their goals were with what she could do and and how they how they worked their way through that and it was just so phenomenal by the end it, it it there was a great transformation, but it was not all with Al. It was with the people who worked with her as well. Yes. So that was what was so magic to see this. Transformation. Yeah, I like the way that they started to learn more about her and read her and and adapt. And that's what that's what I'm all about. And I think it's it was just it's such a phenomenal book, everyone. You have to read it. I'm I'm 
talking around myself because I don't want to get away. <laughs> oh, well, but but it's really beautiful too the way that you combined all your experiences and your childhood experiences in because how long ago was it that you went to Italy to do this? Actually, this was about 10 years ago. And so right. it was, you know, a lot was drawn from memory, but then I got back in touch with Donna Pasquale to get details about the training mm-hmm. that I needed to to make sure I was accurate. And you know, because they have a certain course of action that they take, and I didn't want to mess that up. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think the story is a lot about Al, but as you said, it's also about other dogs and life experiences with these different dogs and swimming and mm-hmm. people. And it's it's really a story about love and courage and more than just about you know, training swimmers and dogs. You know, it's there's something. And that's what makes it so beautiful. It That is oh, what makes you. it so beautiful. It's not. It's not just, oh, it is. It, it hits the heart. And you talk a lot about Italian food. And how can we go wrong when you talk about Italian food? <laughs> exactly. Well, the other thing is that, you know, in Italy, the, the social thing that a lot of people do is get together over a great meal. And so it was so much fun to be able to incorporate some of the special dishes that come from northern Italy that we were sampling at, together. And, you know, how you get together with friends and you tell stories. And so it was that same kind of routine, but in a different country with all the different things that you get from being in Italy versus in the United States or in Canada. You know, it was really a special time. You can really tell in the book how much you appreciated that opportunity and what they were doing for you. And you were also doing for them. I'm sure what, what your knowledge that you brought as well was really, I'm sure they were really inspired to have you there. Really appreciative. They were very generous with their time. They loved explaining. They loved showing the different dogs that they had and telling me their attributes. And, you know, I hadn't expected to see German Shepherds in the school. I hadn't Mm. expected to see... there were some Spinonis there as well, and I had, or they were were thinking about training these Italiano Spinonis, and so I hadn't expected that. So there were surprises, and and I think that that's what made it even better was that everything wasn't predicted, and and I had you know the school is really unique in the world. I know that in Canada there are places where people work with Newfoundlands and they do different water training, life saving. Um, trainings with them. And I know that in the United States, they do it too. But I don't know if they do the same thing where you you have a a victim in the water and you have the dog circling and knowing when to present the harness. And if the person is afraid of the dog, the dog has been taught to move away so that the person doesn't get more scared and become more panicked. So there were things that I thought People have really thought through this training. They haven't, you know, thrown it together. There's been, you know, I think 25 or 30 years of of background and research and work in this area. And it and it shows, you know. It so shows. it was a real privilege to be invited to go watch. I and I, I love dogs, you know, so it was yeah. it was so much fun. Yeah, your whole childhood. And you swam with so many different dogs as your childhood and in, in just life in general. Well, and that comes out. I still do. I have neighbors that have golden retrievers and I just went with them and Labradors. And at one point it was really embarrassed because there's a brown Labrador named Tiller and she's faster than I am. So I have to work hard to stay up with her. That's hilarious. That's great. 
That is no, great. It, is. It, it makes it makes swimming much more interesting than just simply going back and forth. And sometimes in winter, when the water's too cold and your friends won't swim with you, the dogs aren't complaining. They're happy to go. And you throw a tennis ball and you try to get there before the dog does, so you can throw it again further. And it just makes it a nice workout and and fun for yeah. both of you. Yeah, and it's so funny because they don't even know who you are. They don't know <laughs> that it's it's like a lot of times dogs have no idea who I am, you know, and what I do and what I've done. I'm I'm just a person that happens to be hanging out, you know, with their mom or dad as we're walking through the park. And it's kind of like, oh, you know, it's how does she know what I know? How does she know my work? You know, they, you know, Tiller doesn't know that. Exactly. All exactly. your accomplishments. Well, yeah. they just want to play with you. They just yeah. want to be with you. They, yeah, yeah, they just, you're just this person doing this wonderful thing with them and they think it's great. Oh, I'm so happy. So your book is, when is it coming out? Or On May 24th, Tales of Al, the Water Rescue Dog, will be available. But people can pre-order it now. Um, and actually, they can go to my link, www.lynnecox.com, and, and purchase the book that way. Or they can get it from their favorite bookstore, whatever, whatever way they want to go and do it. Oh, that is so exciting. And I will have all those links in my show notes. So uh, listeners, you can just go to the show notes and get those links as well. Thank you so much, Lynn. This has just been fantastic. I'm just so honored to have you on my show. Thank you, Billy. It has been so much fun. Thank you. Take care. We'll keep in touch. Look forward to that. Thanks. And and I look forward to reading your book. Thank you so much. That means a lot. Take care, Lynn. Bye. You too. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed that chat as much as I did. Lynn and I had some great conversations. And she mentioned that, not surprisingly, she swims every morning. And she lives where the water can get pretty chilly. Though many of her friends won't join her on these swims, there's a neighbor dog that is always up for it. And I can just tell how much she loves swimming with this dog, who obviously just loves swimming with her. And as with children, it is important to recognize what interests them and what they love to do and to nurture that. And it's also important to recognize with dogs and with children their differences and what they like and what they don't like. Despite what a book might say about their breed, remember they didn't read the book, not all dogs, just like children and people in general, won't be interested in what perhaps we think they should be. And with dogs that would be perhaps based on their breed. And we need to respect that. Now, without giving away the story on Al, it is also important to encourage dogs and kids and people of all ages to overcome challenges and to pursue new adventures and tasks. And in doing so, we stimulate cognitive function. Cognitive functions include long and short-term memory, sustained, selective, and divided attention, recognition such as for objects or people, knowing where objects are, being able to process and make decisions, and acknowledge feelings and emotions that make those decisions. In fact, dogs harness cognitive skills. They put two and two together every day. They know that a leash means going for a walk, so they run to the door. 
They know which houses different dogs live in, where their food cover is. They remember what scares them and what makes them happy. And they remember what allows them to get what they want. They're always using their cognitive skills. Many of my clients engage in the most interesting sports and activities, such as agility with their dogs. And when they're doing these, as with the water rescue dogs, cognitive skills are employed. Task or job dogs, such as, well, the water rescue dogs, but also cadavera, scent detection, police dogs. These dogs are pruned during puppyhood. They live with foster families who follow an early learning program that enhances their successes at these tasks. Trainers then employ cognitive skills to teach the tasks, and to teach these skills or tasks, conditioning methods are applied. Operant conditioning using positive and negative reinforcements or only positive reinforcements are used. So as you can see, it's possible to teach tasks that harness cognitive skills using conditioning methods. The trainers aren't addressing behavioral issues. In fact, there's no behavioral issues with these dogs commonly. They're simply teaching and conditioning methods are designed to teach. Dogs from the street are dogs who have been fending for themselves. They use their cognitive skills on their own, and that's the reason why they're alive. Canine cognitive behavioral therapy using upper dogology formula simply harnesses these skills, allowing dogs to read and process. Canine cognitive behavioral therapy recognizes preconceived thought patterns driving behavior. CCBT changes the perception first. This is one of the ways that it differs from conditioning methods because it's not designed to teach. It's designed to change perception, to change behavior. Once they change their perception, they choose to change their behavior. So for more information on this, again, check out season one of this podcast. It's got tons of information and thank you so much for your interest. Big thanks to Lynn and be sure to get her book. It was released actually on May 24th. Links are in the show notes. Big thanks to our musicians, Open Strum, Jeff Murdoch Band, and Brian John Harwood. Enjoy your learning journey. Yeah, I wish I could hear what you're thinking. You can't say the words, but buddy, I'm listening. Just know that I'll never stay mad. You're still my good boy.